Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting. Podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. The man himself, George Christensen. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Well, thanks very much, Chris. It's great to be on your uh, top podcast, mate. You're topping the pops these days, I hear. Yeah, mate. It's um quite unexpected, mate. But um, you know what? I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful, and you know, it shows that the people are listening and they want to hear alternative views. They want to hear from different people instead of hearing the same narrative day in day out from the mainstream media outlets. And so, mate, it, it's numbers don't lie. That's right. And, 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 you know, people are tuning into your podcast, I think, because exactly what you've said. But the, the fact is that the mainstream media, uh, politics, uh, social media, no one's allowing any alternative sort of uh, uh, alter, alternative narrative to get out uh, around this, uh, this pandemic. It's just going to be a narrative of fear. That's what's uh, uh, driving uh, politics, mainstream media and social media at the moment. So uh, well done. I appreciate that. Mate, look, I, I first um, discovered you, to be honest, when I saw a video of you in Parliament. You probably know the one I'm talking about, where you just got up, mate, yep. and you, you laid it down to them in black and white. <laughs> mate, I'll tell yep. you what, future generations, when they look back, mate, and though I'll tell you what, that'll be up there with, with one of the defining moments, mate, because up to that point, mate, we were begging for somebody to stand up and just say it like it is, mate. And, and for me, mate, you're the first person I've seen in, in Parliament that actually stood up and, and spoke the truth. So, mate, um, on behalf of, mate, I say the majority of Australians, thank you for, for standing up and, and being honest and also putting yourself out there, mate, because I'm sure it wouldn't have been easy for you to stand up and, and make those sort of comments. So, mate, it's a yeah. credit to you. Well, thanks very much for that, uh, Chris. And, you know, I did get a lot of people uh, emailing. In fact, uh, we lost count of the number of emails. A few uh, brickbats, but mostly bouquets. Uh, uh, people saying the same thing that you did. Thank, thank goodness someone has said something. And, you know, that's why I did it. Uh, it's because there was, it just seemed to me that we we're in this moment of, of political insanity that's being spurred on by the media fanning the flames of fear. And no one was just saying, hey, you know, why are we doing all of this? It is just nonsense. Uh, there is no absolute proof in all of the um, uh, all of the lockdowns, the mask mandates, the curfews, uh, all of the rest of it. There, there is um, uh, a lot of dispute about the eff effectiveness of these measures. And by the way, guys, you are dealing with a virus that has an infection fatality rate of zero 0.27%. I say it again, an infection fatality rate of 0.27% worked out by Dr. John Oenitis really at the start of this pandemic. Uh, and that was actually published in the World Health Organization's bulletin. So uh, it's not a George Christensen figure, that's a WHO figure. And what that means is that 99.7 plus percent of people who contract COVID-19 survive it. So why is there all this fear uh, and why are these ridiculous policy responses in place? So that's why I said what I said. I had 90 seconds. We get a section in Parliament called 90 Second Statement. So you have to be quick and belt it out. Uh, and I did. And uh, uh, I sort of had some people heckling me as I sort of thought. And 
I thought, oh, well, um, you know, I've said my bit now and that'll be it. And then next minute, uh, Anthony Albanese gets up and moves a motion condemning me and uh, my eyes are getting larger and larger as this is going on and they're all attacking me. And I'm thinking to myself, um, thank you guys, because now all of Australia is going to hear what I had to say. And they did. Yeah. Um, right. And I'm very glad that they did. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, 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 and this is what happens. You try and condemn something, you try and silence people. Well, more people are going to go searching it out and listen. Yeah. And, mate, that was, I think, I said it was the first time not only did I discover your voice in Parliament, but I think in general it was the first time I saw somebody stand up in Parliament and just say it like it is instead of hearing the, the fear and the hysteria that, that sort of funnels down from the government into the mainstream media and just, you know, it's a never-ending loop. Uh, they sort of feed yep. off each other. And and I heard recently, I can't remember where it was from or who stated, but I remember that, that was it? Oh, but I couldn't give you the exact date, but I know that apparently New South Wales only um, implemented this curfew between 9pm and 5am due to media pressure. Yeah, that, well, that, that's what that's what John Barillaro, the Deputy Premier, is actually saying right now, uh, is that um, it's not working. And uh, the only reason that it seemingly was adopted was uh, uh, because of media pressure. And um, uh, at least that's what I've read that John Barillaro has actually said. Uh, and if that is the case, then uh, he's right. It needs to be dropped immediately. Um, uh, I, I, I just think this is such an imposition on people's liberties to just adopt a policy like you're curfewing people in their own homes uh, because of why? Because of media pressure. That's not the way that good policy should be, be run in this country. And, um, you know, you shouldn't be stamping out human rights because the media is saying, hey, you've got to do this. Mm. Well, that's right. And who's the leaders? The politicians yeah. or is it the media? And at the moment, it's hard to decipher between the two as to who's calling the shots. Well, uh, there's also the uh, the health bureaucrats that are in the mix there. And um, look, you know, we've got good doctors, good medical professionals in this country. I think that uh, though the health bureaucracy is mainly derived of academics who've done uh, very little in the way of frontline health work, actually. And you know, some of them may have, some of them may have, but for most of the time, they've been sitting behind a desk or they've been in a university somewhere. Uh, and these are the kind of people that, uh, that get into public health policy. They, uh, they are people who believe that, for instance, um, soft drinks should have extra tax on them or that cigarettes should be in little olive green packets. To, you know, and why do they believe all this sort of stuff? Well, because the population really can't, can't uh, uh, you know, they, they don't know what's good for them. They need, they need us to tell them what's good for them. And so when you have that sort of mentality that really you've just handed over all the decision-making to, well, they're going to say, rightio, um, the public don't know what's good for them. So we're going to have to take a big brother approach here and tell them to stay indoors, uh, lock them down, uh, you know, accept a zero risk uh, approach. And uh, the result has been what we've seen, the deprivation of human rights, the deprivation of freedoms and liberties in our very own country, a country that we thought was free. In fact, um, you know, our national anthem says it in it. Uh, we are one and free. Well, we're neither at the moment because we've got lockdowns, uh, we've got curfews, or if we've got restrictions on where we can go, we've got restrictions on what we have to wear on our face. 
Uh, and as for being one, well, the uh, the state border closures certainly put uh, show that that up to be a lie. Yeah, and I'd I'd go on to add as well that not only that, but the at the moment the divide in the community between you know the people that are vaccinated and people are unvaccinated they've, they've turned it into a, a almost like a, a mate, we've seen it over the years mate you have yep. the Black Lives Matter movement where it was you know the white versus black you've seen it with religion it was everyone versus uh, Islam we've we've seen it throughout history there's always an agenda that's being pushed and that's causing a division in society. And at the moment, it, that seems to be it. I, I've never seen this country more divided than I have now uh, over this uh, over this issue. And I, I think you're right in something you said earlier, the media, I mean, who's running the show? Well, the media have a lot to answer for uh, with this division because um, the more you, uh, you pick up newspapers or go to uh, mainstream news uh, websites and you hear terms like covid or, um, you know, polls about should the unvaccinated be kept out of this or kept out of that. And, and you know, it really is just fanning the fear and, um, and and they shouldn't be doing it. And we got into the stage now where Daniel Andrews apparently is indicating in press conferences that the health system is going to be uh, something that unvaccinated people are locked out of. Well, hello, uh, actually, the health system is a basic human right in this country. Uh, I think that that would be absolutely illegal. And I, 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 I hope for his sake uh, that he's either being verbaled or he's just uh, uh, made a foul par in what he says. But it wouldn't surprise me that he actually means what he says. Uh, and, and, you know, we've had um, the news reporting that in, in New South Wales, there's going to be this um, vaccine discrimination as a fixture from when you immediately reopen there. And uh, even bloody church services church services uh, unvaccinated people are going to be restricted from well i talked to a catholic priest in western sydney the other day and uh, his response pardon the pun was like hell uh, he said i'll turn my church into a colony of lepers you know uh, where, where only the unvaccinated can turn up and uh, uh, damn the consequences so uh, you know they, they're gonna to have to watch this that they push people too far in this and there will be civil disobedience and uh, i actually think there should be there should be. Um, I do not want my country to become one which has a medical apartheid in it. And that's where we are swiftly heading, a medical apartheid where you can't uh, go to a pub, can't go to a restaurant, can't go to a cafe, can't cross a state border, can't get on domestic flight interstate, um, can't go on holidays, uh, can't go to visit someone. Uh, I can't even go to church or your synagogue or your mosque if you don't have the jab. Well, that is not a free country. That is a divided country. And it, again, it is an abuse of human rights. It really is. It, it's, it's sad that it's come to this. And I think a lot of us, you know, for many years, we've been, I wouldn't say taught, but we've heard from, you know, again, mainstream media and, and different political parties that the biggest threat to our way of life in Australia is from outside sources, different you know, uh, radical religious groups, um, different, um, you know, country, immigration from, from certain countries. And we thought that was what's going to take away the freedoms and, and ruin the country. That's what we've been taught and told that's what's going to happen. But it's come from within our own country, from within our own government. Yeah. And and it's caught up a lot of us by surprise. And what's surprising to me is the fact that they can take 
all of it away from us. But not only can they take it away, but they can take it away so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's uh unfortunately a feature of our federation. We don't have a bill of rights. And I've been someone who's been a bit skeptical about having a bill of rights. Uh uh, because of what those rights might limit us from doing. But uh, I think now that um, I'd much prefer to be an American with the rights that they have for their constitutional rights, um, ours are fairly limited. Uh, look, I, I still would say um, you talked about foreign sources of, 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 of threat, that um, one thing to remember that in all of this, this virus uh, originated out of, out of Wuhan in China. In communist China, and I still think that there is uh, a liability that those people have. They brought this thing here, and not, they not only exported the virus, uh, Chris, but they also exported the response to the virus. There was an article which um, a lot of people glossed over, and I, I get a, I'm trying to remind people about it. An article in uh, Tablet Magazine in September last year called "China's Global Lockdown Propaganda Campaign," uh, and it's very interesting. Um, China was the one that actually came up with the strategy of locking citizens down. Now, the WHO, the World Health Organization, was saying at the start that you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and then China put pressure on them and they buckled and said, okay, this is an acceptable policy response. Uh, Italy went and did it. Uh, and, and how did that eventuate? How did the whole world come to see, well, we need to suspend human rights, suspend freedoms, suspend liberties for this lockdown approach. Well, remember the footage that we saw out of, out of Wuhan at the beginning. I mean, people just killing over in the streets, yeah. people in hazmat suits, walking around, spraying down buildings. And you think to yourself, really? Was that the same virus? Like, you know, we don't have that sort of situation in Australia. But that's the, that's the world's first uh, exposure to what this virus was going to do. It looked like this was the end of the world. It looked like this was the Black Plague, you know, yeah. come to visit us again. And it turned out it was nothing like that whatsoever. So China not only exported the virus, but they exported their authoritarian, dictatorial, anti-human rights, anti-freedom approach to dealing with it. And yeah. uh, sadly... Western nations have picked it, picked it up. And yes, uh, we can't blame China fully for all of that because we've got to say that at the end of the day, uh, Western leaders, Australian leaders, basically accepted that policy response to the situation. And they have been cheered on, cheered on by the media, by the same media as um, one commentator, Chris Ullman, pointed out, uh, who is part of the media. Uh, he pointed out it's the same media that actually rail against um, uh, refugees and uh, and asylum seekers and illegal immigrants being put in detention. Well, they rail against these people being put in detention. At the same time, they're cheering on our very own Australian citizens being put in detention. Uh, and they demonise those people who dare protest and speak out against those detention policies. It's, uh, it's absolutely turned everything on its head. Yeah, I think we can all... Agree. Look, we none of us know for sure, but I think we can all agree that the virus. We all know it originated from Wuhan. The you know initially, well, I think they they still are pushing the the whole um, wet market bat contamination agenda. Yeah, that's, that's from, nonsense. Yeah. No, that's right. So from 
look, again, this is only my opinion, but from what I've read, what I've seen and the people I've spoken to, and it's pretty unlikely that's what happened. It seems the most likely scenario is that it's got out from that uh, uh, facility in Wuhan where they test and make viruses and all sorts of shit. Um, it seems like it's escaped from there. <laughs> And maybe put, I don't want to know what's inside that place. I could only imagine what's in there, yeah. uh, you know, and, and it's yeah. escaped. And, and that's probably their way of, of I guess, downplaying their, their role in it uh, because you, you can't hold bats accountable, can you? So no, that's, 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 that's right. Yeah, you can't hold bats that uh, might have mixed with pangolins uh, uh, and created no. something. I mean, that, that's, uh, but it's just, I, look, I said at the, at the time that I found that so unbelievable. And I said that, you know, you've got this Institute of Virology right there where the number one thing they were dealing with was coronaviruses that come from bats. You know, can't you put two and two together? Uh, I actually said more than that. I said that I have no doubt that that, that virus came from that, uh, uh, that lab in that place there. Uh, the question that was whether or not it accidentally leaked or it was deliberately leaked. That's the question. And for that, um, the media and others said that, oh, he's engaging in conspiracy theories, that it's a bizarre claim. Well, now just about the whole world believes what I said. Uh, but we're going to see some information pop out on that from Shari Markson, who's uh, she's a journalist uh, with the Daily Telegraph, actually, and she's written a book called What Really Happened in Wuhan, and I think what you're going to find is that there's going to be some culprits uh, from uh, the USA and Australia involved in all of this as well. The kind of research they were able to do in that wet market, in that lab near the wet market, um, the, the, the wet market that got blamed, but it, the, 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 the research they were doing in that lab uh, really was research that wasn't allowed or wasn't seen as ethical in uh, either Australia or the US, gain of function research, they call it. And so, uh, uh, we have our institutions, our universities, our scientific institutions and uh, the American scientific institutions and universities that were uh, all well and truly tied up with the research that was going on in that place. So you're going to see, um, I think, a lot of people ducking for cover about the origins of this virus. Um, but having said all of that, um, uh, that really, to me now, uh, while it's um, while it needs to be pointed out because the people responsible for all this heartache and misery need to really be held accountable, uh, what immediately needs to happen, Chris, is for all of these restrictions to go, and for the fight to be to be uh, made, to be had, um, and to be continued to had against uh, uh, the potential vaccine discrimination that we're about to see in our country. That's what I'm really worried about. Number one is this: uh, the fact that our country is going to be so divided. Yeah, it's. I don't know what their what their end goal is. I don't know if they're acting sort of on the on the. Obviously, it's a, it's a difficult situation to deal with in the sense that they've never dealt with something like this before, and I get that. You are making things up on the go, as you but when everything is so limited, you know, research into the vaccine, while there's definitely an amount of research, uh, there's still a lot of um, data. That's there's a lot missing. of unknowns. There's a lot yeah, of unknowns. Right. And to put something in that's so permanent um, is one thing. If you want to give people the chance to, or the opportunity, listen, if you want to get the vaccine, you can get it. If you don't want it, no problem. That's fine. Let the people make their decision, which they're still saying that's happening. But what's happening is they're saying, listen, you can't go to work yeah. unless you have it. You won't yep. be able to go for a picnic with your family at the park unless you've had it. 
You won't be able, mm-hmm. you, you're essentially become a, an outcast in, in society. And to make that call is such a permanent decision to get someone to put something inside their body with limited research, limited data, it's, it's deeply concerning. And look, I don't know, and I've, I've tried to do my own research into where the governments are getting their health advice from. Because it seems to me, every time I look down an avenue, I get told, you know, from New South Wales Health to look at this website and I can't find the mandates. I see they're signed off by uh, Brad Hazard. There's no, there's no links. There's no, you know, references to any statistic or any study they're just signed off on. And I've tried, man, I can't find them anywhere. So I think to myself, well, if you're going to make people, the, the, the one I like to use is, mandatory masks outdoors so if you're going to make that mandatory the people should have the ability to go into that click on you know the study or whatever it is that that showed that it's necessary to prevent uh, the spread of the virus because from what i've read and from what i've seen wearing a mask outdoors does little to any nothing let's be honest it does nothing they they admit that there's there's uh, i've seen press conferences with uh with Daniel Andrews, where he admits that, uh, with other people where they admit that, including chief health officers. Um, why, why are they doing fact, it? They, they, if they're uh, aware of it, why are they doing it? Is it, is it, is it to put it like a, a blanket rule to try and contain it? Like, are they really trying to contain it that much that they're doing that just with no, nothing well, to back it up? I can't put my myself inside their heads, Chris, but I can do a pretty good uh, uh, job of trying. Um, and maybe the most uh, the most um, uh, positive outlook is that they're trying to set some form of standard uh, so that people are wearing masks when they're indoors where um, maybe maybe there might be a need for it if you're up close with someone but uh, having said that uh, data's recently emerged that shows the level of efficacy around these little blue masks that you see everyone wearing is pretty much nil. And the cloth masks that people wear, again, the efficacy of them is pretty much nil. And in fact, there is uh, uh, next to no uh, efficacy if you're not washing it regularly, if it's wet, uh, you know, there's a whole range of things which show, which show that they uh, just just really aren't, aren't, aren't worth that much. But um, I've got to say that there was a paper that was written some time ago, and I, I'm just struggling to recall um, who wrote that, but it was, a, it was a big paper on masks and COVID-19, and uh, it was done by some major authority. And uh, they actually said in there, while they were talking about uh, the laboratory testings that they'd done, which had found some levels of efficacy, there was a section that was put in this report which basically said it's a symbol and it's a symbol of compliance with health measures. And I wonder, I do wonder whether or not this is what's, what, what it's become tied up with, that it's not about wearing a mask for any benefits of the mask in itself. It's uh, wearing a mask because um, it shows that you're a good citizen, that you're yeah. going to comply you're yep. going to comply with the health restrictions that we're putting in place. Uh, it could be. It could be. I'd almost go as far as saying that the mask could also be just another scare campaign. 
just mm. another way to to invite fear in people you see everyone walking with a mask like prior to this pandemic if you were to see people walking if you were to if we if you were to wake up from yeah. 2016 and you were to wake up today and walk down the road into your shopping center mate you would think that what something's the upon us that yeah. if you yeah. catch this thing you're almost certain to die yeah that's right yeah that's yeah. what it looks like and it's fear they, it does it does fear. spark fear and i do believe that's also the reason for the for the military in the street mate, there's no need for the military the police are doing a they're doing a fine job they're not struggling out uh, enforcing these things mate they're, they're handing out record numbers of fines every day again the military can be used as a deterrent or also to you know fear again there's but we don't know as, as you said we, we're not inside their heads we don't know what they're doing and why they're doing it but from you know an average person like myself who i like to use logic and, and reason and nothing's making sense there's no data to back up the mandates they've put in place sure some of them make sense social distancing makes sense in fact mm. i'd go as far to say that the mask isn't stopping the spread it's the social distancing that's stopping the spread i think you'll find that what you've just said there is is backed up by our uh, uh our expert groups that we have set up um in fact they all say that that uh, the mask would only work in conjunction with social distancing. And there's a reason for that. If you're not social distancing, the mask won't work. That, that tells you something. If you can do one of two things, either wear a mask or social distance, I think just about everyone will say social distance. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre. And I think, I don't know, look, a lot of people are obviously just compliant with it. I know I, the generational gap is a bit of an issue too. So when I speak to people sort of, let's just say 50 years and older, I tend to see a very different response. And that response will be, no, they're, they want what's best for you. It's in your best interest. You know, they're doing it all for a reason. And I'm finding younger people, it could be due to the use of social media, younger people, obviously on social media and YouTube and whatnot and researching around a lot more than the older generation. It could be they're sort of more awake and, and alert to what they're seeing from different sources, they go and hold on something's not adding up. But mm. it seems like the control that the government and the mainstream media have over the population is incredible. Like to the point where if they were to go out tomorrow and say, you know, to prevent infection, you've got to stand outside and do cartwheels down your driveway, mate, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you would see people doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, there is also something in Australia's um, psyche, our cultural psyche, uh, and it's based on a lack of, of, of cultural memory of anything that we've significantly had to fight for. I mean, our, our Anzacs certainly fought for freedom. Our, our diggers have certainly gone overseas to fight, and there was a, a fight right on our doorstep in Papua New Guinea um, to, uh, to ensure that um, we didn't have the Japanese come and take over this country. But... Um, America, for instance, have a look at the USA. They've had to fight two wars of independence and then they fought a civil war, which was all about the idea that is the United States of America, an idea that is wrapped up in the very essence of freedom. So um, they've, they've fought for freedom three times in that country. Yeah. Um, you have a look at France uh, where they had a revolution, they had a, a war there, they lopped the heads off uh, those people they saw were the oppressors and the whole fight was one about uh, liberty, uh, equality and fraternity 
Um, then you had um, the Germans, the Nazis come in, take over the country during World War II, uh, and a lot of the French formed a resistance, uh, which led to the overthrow of, uh, of that government, along with the, obviously, the liberation by the Allied forces of France. So um, there's cultural memories that linger on in certain countries that, uh, that, that, that remember oppression, that remember when things weren't free, that remember that we had to fight for freedom. So this is a precious thing that we have to defend. But then we come to Australia and I sort of struggle to think, well, what big nationwide battle that was here on our shores that we had to fight for freedom or indeed even for the nation. And, you know, apart from the Eureka Stockade, which was limited to not one state, but one town, um, there is nothing that is in our uh, history as a nation that says that we had to fight for freedom. And I think that that shows, that shows with how we've acquiesced. There hasn't been the pushback that there has been in the US and in France and other countries. Um, there's been some, you're right. I mean, there's people that have taken to the streets, obviously, in Sydney and Melbourne, but then they get roasted by the, the press and the politicians and, you know, the bureaucrats to say, oh, these dreadful people, they're super spreaders, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, these, these morons or buffheads or whatever Hazard wants to call them today. I mean, uh, uh, and, and they get an element, probably, sadly, a majority of the public sort of applauding that type of language to people that are out there fighting for their rights, fighting for the restoration of freedom. And I just think that there's something lacking in Australia's cultural memory that's very, very sad. And uh, uh, it shows why we are like we are right now. Uh, I don't know how to turn that around, Chris. I really don't know how to turn it around rather than, uh, other than to, to point it out. Um, because someone said to me a while back, and I'm gonna, gonna repeat it, it's a bit crass, but uh, it, it's pretty spot on. The view has always been that Aussies are rebels, we're renegades, you know, we're the Ned Kellys, you know, if our back's against the wall, well, you watch, we're going to come out swinging. Well, when our back's been against the wall with the removal of freedoms because of a virus with a 0.27% infection fatality rate, when our back's been against the wall, we haven't come out swinging, we've turned around and we've bent over mm. and we've said, um, let us have it, let us have it. Um, it's uh, it's very sad. It's very sad to see that um, response from people who I thought would have would have stood up for freedom. Yeah, I think that's what that's a great point you made. Really, it is. It's a. I've never thought about it that way, and I have. I don't think anyone's ever mentioned it to me or put it that way to me before, mate. So it's a very good point. But you know what? I I, I do see. I see different parts of Sydney get treated differently. Now, oh, yeah. now Southwest Sydney and there's Western a, Sydney. There's a, there's a word for that, Chris. There's yes, mate, I know. we all know that word. <laughs> That's, mate, that, look, that, it's happening, right? And they can deny it all they want, but it's happening. Now, what you find in these parts of Sydney and you know, out towards my way, I'm out in Campbelltown, Southwest Sydney and Liverpool, you've got Bankstown area, you know, a very diverse population, and a lot of those people from those areas I just mentioned have been through wars. And if they haven't, their parents or grandparents yep. have been through wars and, and difficult times. And 
they're the ones that are saying, well, hold on a second. You know, they, they saw it coming before I think anyone else did. They stood yeah. back and said, hey, what the fuck's going on? This isn't good. What, what you know, what's going to happen? And they were the ones that stood up and they were being quite vocal about it from the beginning. And they were getting called nuts and conspiracy theorists. And, yep. and as you said just before, it's the fact that they've been through something yep. similar and mate, it gets passed down from generation to generation and well, they're aware of it and what they, they can see it happening here and, and mate, they're, they're concerned. Yep. So, so they're, they're people that don't just have the cultural memory. Some of them have the direct living memory of living yeah. under uh, oppression, uh, totalitarianism, authoritarianism. And uh, when, when they see it, when they hear it, when they smell it, they know it. And um uh, you know, there's people obviously from the Middle East uh, that, that, that have uh, become aware of that, but there's people that I know and I've uh, heard from who've come from uh, communist uh, countries in, in, in Europe, uh, and they have said the same thing. This is very, very scary. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that uh, we escaped, our, our family escaped from. Uh, so I... I, I Again, they've got the either direct memory or the cultural memory of what it's like to live in a society like this, and how that freedoms are always uh, always given away or taken bit by bit under the guise of security or safety. There's never been a time, uh, probably in modern history, there, there may have been a time before where freedom was taken, you know, uh, for reasons other than this, but mostly. Um, there's always a reason that's to do with safety or security that's, that's, that's used to whittle away freedoms. And what's going to linger? What's going to linger on as a result of all this? Well, hopefully, uh, you know, I said in Parliament in that speech that you talked about earlier that um, uh, we need to uh, live with the virus, not in constant fear of it. And I said that as a push to let's get rid of these lockdowns and restrictions. Uh, I got condemned in Parliament for it from both sides. And then two weeks later, the Prime Minister's up at the podium and says to the press, we need to live with the virus, not in fear of it. So uh, that's great. Um, they say imitation is the best form of flattery. So thanks very much, ScoMo. So uh, now we're, um, we're, we're moving to a situation where the Prime Minister is pushing for an end to the restrictions. But do I imagine that we're going to see all restrictions completely gone, or are they going to latch onto something? Well, we've already got uh, chief health officers in various states saying that uh, the QR code sign-ins should remain a permanent feature. And, you know, given that we've all been conditioned to buddy, you know, plugging in our passwords and then, you know, putting the, yeah. putting the phone up to the, to the, the code, uh, you know, it might be something that people accept. But there's a danger in that. And the danger uh, is that state police services have actually used that data uh, to go on the hunt for criminals. So what else is going to be misused? It was supposed to only ever be used to trace where people are. That is going to be, if, if left on our national landscape, that rule, that law, uh, will be something that will be used week after week after week to invade people's privacy. And nothing, nothing should remain, not even that. The lockdowns need to go. The curfews need to go. The mask mandates need to go. The QR code signings need to go. The state border closures need to go. It all needs to go because it is stuff that is anathema to a free, 
liberal Western democracy. And that's what we are. If that stuff stays, then we can't say that we are a free liberal Western democracy. And the other thing that cannot be entertained is this view that some people in our society, because they have determined for whatever reason that they don't wanna be part of this, um, of this uh, medical procedure, uh, they should not be discriminated against because of that. Uh, you said it before, the national plan was that vaccinations were not to be mandatory. And what we've had ever since that statement was made by the Prime Minister uh, is either state governments or private corporations uh, undermining that statement. Uh, the statement was that the vaccines would not be compulsory. And the Prime Minister is still st stating that to this day. And yet we've had uh, uh, premiers and ministers at the state level say that, well, you might be able to go into a pub, you might be able to go to a club, a cafe, a church, uh, a sporting ground. Um, you might be, uh, we even had an education minister up here in Queensland say that should have to think long and hard about whether they send unvaccinated kids to school. Uh, what sort of society are we going to have? Doesn't, it all needs to it go. doesn't affect it kids. All needs to go. This is that's one thing that does get under my skin. And and look, I don't I don't tell anybody else what they should do, mate. I don't know your your vaccination status, and you know what? I don't care. It's not my business. It's your it's your business. It's nothing to do with anybody else but yourself and your doctor, maybe. But that's it. Now, but I will speak up when it comes to the children. Yeah. And mate, when I'm saying they want to start vaccinating 12 year old children, they have also discussed the possibility of, of even younger when it's all approved. Uh, but mate, this virus is not bothering children. And I've, you made a it's point not. off camera that was in the Australian, mate. Have you got that in front of you now to, to read that I, out? I, I do. It's news just in from the Australian. The headline is kids catch COVID, but most don't get sick. Report data from New South Wales second wave reveals impact of Delta virus on children with 98% asymptomatic or showing only mild symptoms. And that backs up something that come out from the UK uh, only a few days ago, their top vaccine advisory body, the one that actually gives the evidence to the government about vaccines, they refused to give the green light to vaccinating healthy children aged 12 to 15 on health grounds. And they said children were at such a low risk from the virus that jabs would offer only a marginal benefit. That was the BBC that reported that. So, uh, you know, um, and I got to say that I think that the UK government didn't like the answer, so they said we're going to go for a second opinion by asking others. Um, well, yeah. well, you know, what are we listening to the experts? We're not listening to the experts. The experts are saying here that kids do not need to get the jab, uh, and yet, again, up in Queensland, our Premier was on the record the other day saying she won't reopen the state, she won't lift the border restrictions until every child is vaccinated. Well, the newsflash is the data and the experts are both saying that kids do not need to be vaccinated. Yeah, mate, the experts have said many things. And the problem is the state governments are picking and even the federal government to some degree are picking and choosing what, what backs up their mandates and what, what justifies their actions. So they often quote the World Health Organization. I've said this on a few podcasts I've done. I've said... The World Health Organization does not recommend testing of asymptomatic people 
unless mm-hmm. they've got symptoms or, or they've been around somebody with a confirmed uh, a case of COVID. So this whole every third day, if you live in this LGA, you know, for this job, you've got to get tested once a week. What are they, are they picking and choosing? If the World Health Organization is saying that, but then they're saying, but the World Health Organization is saying this, that's why we're doing this. Well, why aren't you following it all the way through? Why is it bits and pieces you're choosing? Is they're choosing what suits their, uh, let's not call it agenda. Let's just call it um, maybe the best word. Their policies. Their, their, their policies. So, yeah. uh, mate, that's deeply concerning that you've got bodies like the World Health Organization, which, by the way, I don't trust at all, at all. They're personally. heavily politicised. Heavily they politicised. Are. That, that Absolutely. Um, but more so, it's, it's, it, the issue is the fact that they're not, they're seeking out advice that suits them and they're not being yeah. transparent across the board. They're, they're not looking, they're finding an opinion that, or, or a study or whatever it may be that suits them. They're going, okay, yes, we'll use that to back it up. But then mm. when they say that, it's on the best health advice. They're not showing us the health advice. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know, but where do they get their health advice from? Where does it come from? Well, look, ultimately it comes from uh, the, the, um, the group, the advisory group. Uh, I have to go and uh, search for the exact name, but there's an advisory group that the, uh, the federal government's taking its, um, its information from. Is is that an Australian advisory group? It it is. um, But uh, the question is, where are they getting their information from? So they're getting their information from a variety of different uh, peer-reviewed sources um, that are published in various different papers. Um, Some of those, uh, I think, um, are are, are questionable, actually. I won't go into that too much, but uh, some of the sources where they get it from are quite questionable. But this just shows that um, you can, in the context of this pandemic, there's a myriad of experts. There is not one thing called the science, and that's it. We follow the science. There is no such thing as the science. There are a variety of different disciplines in science, and within each discipline, uh, when a problem emerges, there's a variety of different responses uh, that could be deployed. And so everyone can go and pick and choose their particular expert at this point in time, uh, who will tell them, you know, whatever it is that's in line with their beliefs or their plan forward. And uh, why I said before that the WHO is politicised, I mean, well, it, it's had more positions than the Kama Sutra on uh, on on on, pande- on pandemic. Uh, policy responses. I mean, uh, uh, one moment, you know, you shouldn't be wearing masks. The next minute you should. One moment, lockdowns are not uh, applicable. Next minute they are. Um, You know, all of these different sort of confusing takes on what governments are to do. And all you're going to say at the end of the day, that just boils down to politics. They're just responding to whatever um, certain countries want to be the, uh, uh, the response at that particular time. Uh, but, but, you know, health advice is but one factor in, in any response. Look, if we just said we're going to act on the basis of, of, of public health and public health alone, we would ban tobacco, we would ban, uh, you know, added sugar in all products, ban soft drinks, ban alcohol, uh, we'd probably ban driving where driving was unnecessary, given that's one of the biggest killers of individuals these days. Um, uh, there are so many things that we would ban, but we don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because, you know, 
like uh, you and me, we're all big enough and ugly enough to look after ourselves. We're considered to be adults and free people, thinking people who can actually look at evidence before them. I mean, if you don't know right now that smoking is bad for you, then you have not been uh, awake, quite honestly. That's right. If you make a choice to smoke, you do so knowing the risk, and that's up to you. Um, now, you get these people, and, and I've, I've, I've seen it uh, with smoking, but I've also seen it with the, uh, with the virus, people saying, oh, well, they shouldn't use a health system if they get sick then. Um, well, uh, you know, I'm afraid that every single person in this country is a taxpayer who actually pays for that bloody health system. So I'm afraid that that, that, that doesn't wash. That really does not wash. Uh, unvaccinated people will pay for the health system. And going back to the cigarette smoking analogy, cigarette smokers pay a lot for the health system. They pay far more uh, for the health system than actually uh, uh, what they ever get back, uh, even yeah. though you might see some fake news to the contrary. So uh, this is why that we should never, ever have a public policy response that is just focused on one thing, and that's health, or in this case, actually not health. Sorry, Chris, it's just stopping deaths. Yeah. Um, now, we had, uh, I think the figure was around 3,000 plus deaths from influenza in 2019. There was not some big, um, you know, nightly tally that was given, uh, a big national plan that was broadcast into our homes on a daily basis on how we were going to deal with this and everyone cowering in the corner or hiding under the donor as a result. Um, it, it, it wasn't so much of an issue. And uh, I just, you know, if government really wanted to respond in that instance to saving lives, then they would have adopted exactly the same measures that we have now. And we probably wouldn't have had 3,000 deaths that year. But we didn't do that because life needs to go on, you know? Yeah. Um, the average age of death from influenza is, uh, even though every death is tragic, but the average age of death, it's a statistical fact, is in the older population, the late 80s and the 90s. And guess what the average age of death from COVID-19 is? The last time I checked, it was about 86 in Australia. And so the average lifespan is about 85. So it's people who have lived older than the average lifespan of Australian, of an average Australian who are actually dying here. Not to say that that's not tragic, not to say that those people should die, they shouldn't, um, but do we stop everything else in society? Do we suspend human rights and freedoms and liberties to deal with that situation? I, I think that that's uh, the wrong course of action. It is, and look, if they want to take that approach to the pandemic then they should take that you'd expect this a similar approach to everything else right i mean yeah. if they want to minimize deaths okay we'll ban cigarettes like cigarettes is a choice well they say it's up to us whether or not we want to smoke right um but i think a, a large the main reason you can go down to the supermarket or tobacconist and buy a pack of cigarettes is because the government do make a ridiculous amount of money on a packet of cigarettes yeah. Right. Yep. So they can be real about that because that's the reality of it. Alcohol is the same. They make a lot of money on alcohol. So mm -hmm. when you look at those two, and then you've got the opposite end where you've got cannabis. Now, I don't smoke cannabis, but I'm a huge advocate for its uh, medicinal purposes. Yep. Um, and, and made it not only that, I think if someone wants to get home from work after a long day and, and sit on the lounge at 9 30 at night and, and, you know, puff on a, a bit of weed to go to sleep, mate, well, who cares? That's no yep. different to a bloke getting home and throwing down a six pack of beer. 
In Correct. fact, it's, yep. probably, it's probably better for you, right? So it's one way or the other. You, you can't take that. There's too many you know, contradictions in their policies. And that's been evident for years, not just now, but I think this has really highlighted it for a lot of people that all of a sudden our state and federal governments, you know, all of a sudden they give a fuck about our health and they want us yeah. to stay out of hospitals and they no. It's not about that because if it was about that, it'd be consistent across the board. There'd be no cigarettes, there'd be no alcohol, as you yeah. said. Limit driving to central trips only. Back, you know, back to work, uh, to work and back home again. There'd be no driving around because you feel like it, uh, because you said road fatalities are a huge cause of death in this country. Yep. Yep. You know these things. It'd be as you said, restrictions on the amount of sugar that can be put in soft drinks and. Mate, and fill, you go buy some some products from Coles or Woolies, like it looks like from the outside a healthy meal. You pull it apart and look at the ingredients, and it's fucking terrible. It's, a Big Mac's probably better for you, right? <laughs> yeah. So th there's no consistent approach. And what's really got to me is the fact that, mate, maybe they have, but I have. I'm yet to see a press conference where they stand up there, and you know, speak. You know daily cases, deaths, and then jump onto something. You know what? Today we're going to have such and such from a nutritionist or somebody or a dietitian to come up and, and, and teach you, you know, take these supplements to help your immune system, uh, you know, exercise, uh, eat this food, avoid these foods and, and to help us overall in our overall health, because the severity of this illness depends on the individual. Correct. That's and, and uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even some of those statements about taking certain, uh, uh, taking certain things would uh, make you fall afoul of, uh, of of laws or at least of, uh, of what you can say on social media. Um, so, uh, you know, the idea that you could um, uh, look after your own health, uh, I can't talk about it, I'm no poster boy for, uh, for good health, but the idea that you could look after your own health and have a better chance of surviving a virus with an infection fatality rate of 0.27% is, is something that, uh, that actually you can't say in certain circumstances. Um, the certain drugs and certain protocols that, uh, that could be taken that could help you out. Uh, the, 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 same protocol, the, the same protocol that, um, that Joe Rogan used and he recovered in two or three days. Yeah, yeah. You hear about that? The same, yeah, I did, I did, I did. <laughs> and uh, and hasn't, speak uh, haven't people gone insane over it? Oh, he was taking horse medicine. Well, you know, nonsense. And uh, I'm happy to tell you, Chris, uh, people should just go to their own doctor. They should just go to their own doctor, have a talk about uh, their worry. If they think that they're in a, a high-risk category, that they... Um, come in contact with a lot of people and they want to uh, look after their own health better. They might want to have a talk with their GP about what treatments are available to them, what potential uh, uh, things that they can do to boost their own immune system. And I can tell you that I've had a talk with uh, my GP and my GP prescribed me uh, the same protocol that Joe Rogan has. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll get me through it if I ever need to be gotten through it. Mate, we all should have that option, mate. You know, if it doesn't work like they claim, when well, I think we all know that's bullshit, but if it doesn't work like they claim, well, then that's our problem. Exactly. If we end up in hospital on a ventilator and die because we we chose to, to go down that path, but what's our problem? Where's personal responsibility for our own actions? It's gone. You're not allowed that's to right. make your own decision. And a lot of this is common knowledge. Like 
vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, these things, but we've known these this for years. Like, mate, if you want to, well, I used to know, I used to have a Macedonian neighbor, an old bloke in his eighties, mate, the guy was never sick ever. And he said, I'd never been sick in my life. And the guy lived on garlic. He lived on it. Yeah. Cloves of it a day. Mate, he wasn't, yeah. he didn't have the best smelling breath, but you know what? Yeah. Mate, he was a poster, a poster, a, a man for health. He just, you know, he done the right things, looked after his body. And well, mate, we know this, like it's, it's tried and true. Garlic probably, the garlic probably had a benefit of social distancing as well. So uh... <laughs> it probably worked to his advantage, but it, it's just like, we know these things, but mate, if you come out and say that, I don't know how you look, mate, if you say this regularly on social media, even just talking about vitamins and vitamins. I had someone tell me the other day that I was insane and that um, I'm a conspiracy theorist because I, I was saying to get out in the sun and get some vitamin D because it's beneficial for your immune system. I was caught a nut and a conspiracy theorist for that. So people just have this invested, um, I don't even know, resentment of any other possible alternatives. You know, it's like they're on team vaccine or they're on team Novax that's where where it's at and mate i've seen people wish that joe personally wish that joe rogan died mate, i've yeah, seen that's it crazy thing people there, are there's, so there's, invested there's people i mean I, I you know i get the reports i see stuff that's written on twitter about me and, and people have said that about me i hope that uh, you know george christensen gets it and you know that that that, that fat bastard he'll he'll die for sure you know and you think yourself oh, you say back to that mate you reply back to their comment and you hashtag it Go fuck yourself when you move on. Don't worry about people <laughs> that's, like that. That's, that, that. that's pretty much the filing system that I keep it in. Uh, it gives a shit. <laughs> oh, mate, you have, because you know what? If, if you, people, mate, there's a lot of, like, mate, it uh, doesn't matter what side of the fence I sit on, but, mate, I don't wish anybody to get ill. But it just shows their mentality. I mean, these people that are supposed to be, uh, you know, all there for our health. And I saw some TikTok of somebody, uh, nurse over in the States, and she was, you know, screeching at the camera, talking about uh, how she doesn't give a shit anymore uh, if these people turn up and they have to be intubated and they die. Uh, well, that's their fault because they didn't get vaccinated. You know, uh, I'm almost at the point where I don't want to treat them. And I think to myself, wow, it's your job. How, how far have we sunk? You know, how far have we sunk? And it all comes back to the one thing that I said earlier, fear, fear, fear. These people are afraid. Uh, these people, when you have fear that's pulsating, through any society, um, there always has to be uh, the people who are responsible. And instead of um, uh, pointing the finger at, um, for instance, communist China who unleashed the virus onto the world or communist China who exported the uh, stupid lockdown uh, policies to the rest of the world, or instead of pointing the, fear at uh, pointing the finger at political leaders uh, for implementing these policies which have restricted our freedoms, the fingers being pointed at the unvaccinated. And the data certainly shows that the finger shouldn't be pointed at them because uh, why? I mean, the protests outside uh, have not been proven to have spread the virus. So they weren't super spreaders, even though they were accused of being such. Um, and the data is now also showing that the Delta variant uh, really, it doesn't discriminate, mate. It doesn't doesn't care whether you are vaccinated or unvaccinated. In terms of transmission, it's mm. going to go where it wants to go. And now there's another virus, a variant of this virus, Moo. that apparently has popped up in Colombia. Moo, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and and Moo's an anti-vaxxer, mate. Moo is an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. Uh, Moo, Moo, Moo is not 
uh, caring at all about the vaccine for anything, uh, whether wow. it's the effect on you or whether it's transmission. So uh, we're seeing data pop up already, again, just going back to Delta, out of places like Iceland and Israel and even England, um, which would show that um, there are a lot of people, uh, not uh, probably almost in, in complete conjunction with the uh, with the population and the and the percentage of the population that's vaccinated or unvaccinated, but in terms of the of the hospitalizations, the cases and the deaths, they all seem to be flowing at a pretty steady steady rate. That's pretty resembling of the uh, of the breakdown in terms of the population who's vaccinated or unvaccinated. So that tells you something, mm. and it tells you that the idea of domestic vaccine passports, the idea of ongoing vaccine discrimination, it is nonsense. It is a nonsense because it is not just the vaccine, uh, it's not just the vaccinated, uh, uh, sorry, I'll say it again, it is not just the unvaccinated who are transmitting the virus. Uh, the vaccine seems to be working, particularly with Delta, as a, a barrier. Uh, that's what the experts claim that the vaccine's working as a barrier. It's lessening the effects, uh, so the experts say, um, but it is not really showing a great deal of efficacy, certainly not as much as what was thought for stopping the spread. Yeah, no, well, mate, that's, I think that's well established. And I think, as I said to you prior to this podcast, I'm not going to discuss the vaccine and, and that too much with you because look, we're both not doctors, but as you get to a point where it becomes common knowledge that this is happening and yeah. not that we look, we can't say into the future, but in a way we can, because we can see what's happening in Israel. We can see what's happening in the UK. I read last night that um, the UK is on the brink of imp imposing some lockdowns or, or something they're looking at bringing back. Um, I just couldn't yeah. uh, read over it uh, because it's starting to get a bit out of hand again. And uh, we're going to live like this forever and then get a booster shot every six or 12 months. And then when that starts wearing off or a new variant comes out that, that just, uh, you know, dodges the antibodies by that particular vaccine, mate, that's what you're going to have a, a period. We're going to have people that have had uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca. And, and this is mate, you, you're seeing in Israel now that are solely Pfizer that's the vaccine in Pfizer. They, uh, in Israel, they use Pfizer. The Delta variant in Pfizer is, is sorry, the Delta variant in Israel is running amok, right? Um, and you've seen the same thing in um, with the beta variant, with the AstraZeneca. It was the same thing. It was dodging the antibodies uh, produced by the AstraZeneca vaccine. So you're going to have these, you're going to have each variant that's going to come and look, move the next one. And we'll probably get a few of them, but you get, yeah. it's not going to be a matter of if you're vaccinated, but it's going to be a matter of what vaccine have you, what have you taken? Yeah, yeah. They don't gonna, work. They don't work. They're not the same thing. They're not the same product. Yeah. They're going to run out of Greek letters in the alphabet uh, uh, for these variants. <laughs> but um, uh, the reality is at some stage, someone is going to have to blow the whistle and just say enough is enough. Um, you know, we, we, we can't solve this. In fact, someone has tried to blow the whistle. The bloke who tried to blow the whistle was one of the developers of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, he went before a British parliamentary committee uh, only probably a month ago. Uh, and he actually said to them, now, this guy is not just any guy, I'm trying to remember his name, but it escapes me at this point in time, but he's on the World Health Organization's uh, 
expert group of, of immunologists. So, you know, a world-class expert. And he said to the British Parliamentary Committee that um, the, the, the virus is now endemic. Uh, and that means that it ain't going anywhere. It's here to stay. And there is no way to herd immunity. Uh, his words were, we need to adopt an approach of living with the virus. Um, and, and so uh, this is where we need to get at. And uh, there are still people in our community, I saw one of them today, who, uh, who say uh, on, on, on social media, I saw a comment from someone say that, well, we, we should only open the borders uh, in Queensland once we've killed the virus. Well, you know, <laughs> if you like just saying, look, it's not going to be killed. I'm sorry. That might be the fantasy that you've been uh, uh, that you've been infected with, actually, through um, the media and through politicians that sort of up there telling you that they can keep you safe. But no politician, no bureaucrat, no media outlet, no one's going to keep you safe from an endemic virus. Uh, COVID nineteen, whether we like it or not, is going to be probably in the future as common as influenza is. Yeah, and it will be. And from a podcast I did earlier with, with a doctor, um, he made the point of that it's very rare. So when a virus, the one that leaked from the Wuhan lab, that was the worst of the worst. He said it's very rare in terms of, of uh, mortality and severity of illness. That's sort of the way. And that's been across a variety of viruses, not just uh, SARS-CoV-2. It's been a few of them where you get that initial virus and it's quite brutal it's quite um deadly and then you'll get variants like we've seen with delta and they may be more contagious and that may happen which i think we can all say that delta is more contagious than the original wuhan yep. uh, strain but it's certainly not more deadly that's and there, right. there's proof in the numbers of that that's not me making that up you can see that go anywhere and you can find that information and yep. so what he's expecting and look it's his prediction but he's the the the, the wizard, not me, he, he maybe knows this, what he does for a living. He said that we're going to see it as a new variant, you know, next year be a little bit less uh, deadly again, and maybe a little bit less contagious. And that's going to, that's going to be the trend. He said, it's very rare. You'll see a virus mutate into something more deadly than its original form. Very rare. So that was his opinion. And look, it's just an opinion from his own research and analysis, but it's an opinion. So I'd like to obviously speak to someone who's got a, a, a different view on that, but um, that's just what he told me. And I think it's quite interesting. Uh, but mate, we're going to have to live with it because at the moment we're not living, period. Like We're, yeah. we're locked away. But that's not by my choice. And, and I'm not being um, cocky or, 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 or arrogant or dismissive of the fact that there's a virus out there, mate. But personally, I'm not, I'm not concerned about getting it. I'm not. I don't want to get it. Uh, I prefer yeah. not to get it. But at the end of the day, I have family that are older and vulnerable people. That's the reason I don't want to get it. But me personally, mate, I, I, I look at this no differently to a look at a flu. Yeah. And I'm being honest. That's not coming from a place of ego. Or that, I'm being brutally honest with you. Yeah. And, and if you had the flu, I guess you wouldn't go and visit your elderly relatives like me. No. If I had the flu, I wouldn't go and visit my 66-year-old dad. No. Um, it'd just be stupid to. So... We can sort of use our common sense with this, um, but uh, again, you know, we've got state health bureaucrats that the politicians are basically ceding control to, who are making the calls, and they're basically operating from a zero risk, uh, uh, a zero risk principle, 
And also uh, from a point of view where you and me and everyone else out there, well, we can't look after ourselves. So big government's got to know best. Well, that's right. Now, what's, so what's the federal government? So the federal, I've seen Scott Morrison's changed his tune a little bit. Also, uh, Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, has changed his tune a bit in terms of living with the virus. Like the state government's implementing these vaccine passports and all these other things. I'm, I'm sure ScoMo can, can come down and say, hey, listen, stop this shit. Like, don't do it. Hasn't he got the authority to make that decision if, if, if he's unhappy with their choice? He, he, he does, um, uh, to a degree. Uh, I think that, and I have pleaded with the Prime Minister and the Health Minister and anyone that'll listen, actually, to do something about the vaccine register that we've set up. So the vaccine register or the vaccine certificate um, uh, is, a, is, a, is a creation of the Commonwealth and uh, we can actually say what goes with that. And... Uh, Quite frankly, there was a vote the other week in Parliament. Um, it was only Craig Kelly and I on one side and everyone else uh, who was there on the other um, voting against it. And that was all about a private member's bill called the uh, No COVID Vaccine Passport Bill mm. that Craig Kelly wanted debated and voted on. It didn't get debated and voted on. Um, so it just will languish. Um, but uh, I'm trying to plead with them to actually build in protections and his bill would have done it, Craig Kelly's bill would have done it. The protections would be that no one can demand to see that certificate. Um, no one can actually uh, discriminate against you for not seeing that certificate. Uh, I think that's something that we could do, but it's not being done. And uh, the view, uh, I think that the Prime Minister's been quite open in his view that he believes that uh, businesses should have the right to uh, tell customers whether they should or shouldn't enter their premises or utilise their services if they do or don't have the vaccine. Um, no, no, sorry, only if they do have the vaccine. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's no one out there suggesting, and I think that it would probably be against the law if you had a business that popped up and said, we're not going to see any vaccinated people. That'll be very interesting. That would be very interesting to see. Not that I would encourage it, but it would be very interesting to see what the law does to that particular business owner. Um, uh, but um, it's wrong, mate. Uh, and, uh, and they all know that down in Canberra. They all know that I think that this is wrong. Uh, but I, I shouldn't just say that I think it's wrong. It is wrong. There is no is wrong. way that anyone could suggest that to have, uh, either on the basis of ethics, of human rights, or of logic when you look at the data, there is no one that could suggest that it is the right way to go to have Australians being discriminated against because they decided not to partake in a particular medical treatment. Yeah, mate. Uh, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing, mate. There's a few of you in Parliament that, mate, you, yourself, Malcolm Roberts, Craig Kelly, Clive Palmer, Paul Hanson. Um, there's a few of you that are, that are speaking out against this, mate. And I'll tell you what, uh, mate, you guys are the... It's rare to see. And, and mate, what I saw that day when, when you and Craig were sitting there by yourselves... In one side of the room in Parliament, mate, I saw you know there was two lines sitting there, mate, and the other side were a pack of sheep. That's what I saw, and I think that's what a lot of people saw, mate. So, mate, it, it's an honourable thing you've done for standing up for Australians, and I'm mate, I'm very grateful. I'm sure a lot of Australians are grateful uh, for you and and the others for taking that stance, but, mate. I mean, what's next for you, mate? You're going to keep up the good fight. Yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, not running again at the next election, uh, so uh, I'm just going to from 
uh, this point until um, whenever the election's called, just keep on speaking up and fighting because this issue is vitally important. We can't have an Australia that's divided like this. We can't have an Australia where um, our freedoms have been restricted. And so uh, I'm just going to keep on speaking up and speaking out and uh, see if we can score a win in between now and then. So you're not, you're not running for the next one? No, mate. So I'm out. And look, it gives me a great deal of freedom to actually say these and not have to worry about uh, the media trying to tip a bucket over me and call me an anti-vaxxer and demonise me like they're doing everyone else. So, uh, you know, they're all a bit worried at the moment. Holy moly, there's nothing that's uh, worrying this guy and there's nothing that is. Um, you know, uh, uh, we just need to speak the truth and, and keep on fighting. And uh, after I'm out of the parliamentary arena, that's not to say that I'm not going to still be involved in politics. Um, you're doing a role right now. You're doing a role in Australian politics, Chris. You're being an influencer and you're educating uh, the public about a range of different matters. People are being exposed to new ideas that they otherwise wouldn't be exposed to because the mainstream media and the major social media platforms are all like this uh, you know, one-party conglomerate where certain views, certain issues can't be discussed. So you're doing something that helps change the culture, that helps influence the culture for the better, I might say. And I think that I want to be somehow part of all of that as well. Mate, that's what we need, mate. And look, it was never my intention to start this podcast from a you know, a, a bias, a point of view. I, I never want to be biased, but mate, I do want to call bullshit when I say bullshit. And mate, if I'm talking to somebody who's of an opposite view of you and they're on there saying things that I know isn't right, mate, I'll call them on that bullshit. I'll say, well, you know, that's, that's, I just want to be open and, and have a, a conversation with everybody about a range of things, mate. Cause you know who benefits from it? Not only myself, cause I'm learning and made it up the things I've learned in the last few months, talking to all the, amazing people I've spoken to, but mate, the public's benefiting and they're learning and they're getting educated. And all of a sudden everyone has some knowledge on the constitution and different, you know, biosecurity acts and privacy acts. And mate, it's great that the Australian people are, uh, you know, getting informed and, but that's something that, that we all need. And I, I think one of the biggest differences that, that we're going to see is the next election. Mate, as, yeah. as, as Malcolm Roberts said, mate, you know, those people that go up to the, the, the booths and just draw a dick and balls on the paper are now going to be starting <laughs> to actually take an interest in the political party they're voting for, mate. And that's, that's the, in the betterment of the country. So, mate, that's what I'm hoping comes out of all of this. People are more conscious of the fact that their decision and their, their vote that day makes a huge difference. And that would, be, uh, that would be good to see, that people being more discerning, but I hope we don't see the loss of some of that uh, artistic creativity. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I've done the script during on election day, and I'm going to tell you the funniest thing I saw was on the Senate paper, and if people remember the Senate paper, it's this long list with all yeah. of these bloody names, and you're like, holy moly, who are these people? And someone's just written on there at the top, beam me up, Scotty, no sign of intelligent life down here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate, some of them, mate, oh, some of them are terrific. I, mate, I'm not very creative, mate. I go down there and just chuck it in the box. But, mate, some, mate, some people I think spend weeks preparing for what they're going to write or draw on it. Oh, mate, there's artists out there. I tell you, mate, there's some great artists out there. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, look, mate, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, speak with you because uh, I know that. Um, you know, you're, uh, as I said, you're, you're growing in terms of your uh, podcast. You're one of the top podcasts at the moment. 
And uh, I'm, you know, happy for your listeners to uh, stay in contact with me. Um, I've got a newsletter that I send out that people can sign up to through my website, georgechristensen.com.au, where I'm pretty prolific on on Facebook at the moment. So while they uh, while they don't send me so don't send me there, I'm very careful about uh, watching my P's and Q's. But uh, I think we're rapidly approaching 100,000 uh, followers on Facebook, so that's good. That's terrific. Yeah, and it's all about getting the message out, mate. And the message is uh, now one that's really all about freedom. Yeah, mate, well, I can tell you now, when I put a post out that I was chatting to you this afternoon, mate, the response was incredible, mate. The, the messages I got and, uh, mate, everyone was looking forward to hearing from you because you've been, as I said, that, that figure that we've all looked for um, in the past six months or even longer than that, to be honest. Um, and, mate, you know, so, again, thank you for the job you're doing, mate, and, even if it's just you, mate, mate, you and Malcolm in there with your voices, mate, it makes a difference and it means a lot to a lot of Australians. So thank you. Thank you, mate. Mate, it's been an honour. Mate, you're welcome back any time. Just let me know. Will do. Uh, happy to come on whenever you want me on. And uh, more power to you. And uh, thanks very much again for the chat. Legend. Thank you, mate. And I look forward to my uh, Make Australia Free Again hat. I've, uh, mate, I've I've seen that. <laughs> mate, I've seen that. I'll tell you what, mate, you don't blame me. Blame Australia Post. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing at the moment. No, no, no. It's I, 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 I got to tell you, I'm in quarantine, so I can't go and collect it if I tried. So uh, it's probably oh, sitting there, there in go. my mailbox, but I'll uh, I'll wear it. I'll wear it on the next podcast chat I do with you. <laughs> oh, mate, that'd be terrific. Awesome. You're a good man. Thanks very much, George. I appreciate it, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. Yeah, mate.